This is episode 33 of the Higher Christian Life broadcast, and my name is Steve McCraney. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, we often fail to appreciate how blessed we are to have Him abiding and indwelling and living in us. It was not that way in the Old Testament. Then, if you wanted to be with God, you had to physically go to where He was at the time. And if not, you're out of luck. If He's in a tabernacle meeting with Moses and you're on the south side of the mountain, you're not where God was. The same was true during the life of Jesus. If he was in Capernaum, for example, and you were still stuck in traffic back in Jerusalem, you were not with the Lord. There was no fellowship, no encouragement, no teaching, nothing. To be with Jesus, you had to physically be with Jesus, but not so now. Jesus said the Holy Spirit now lives in us. The third person of the Trinity, God himself, makes his home in us. The implications of this are staggering when you think about it, especially regarding the higher Christian life. So join us today as we discover the joy of knowing him in a deeper, more passionate way as we strive for the higher Christian life. We've been talking about these three truths that'll help you work through the guilt and shame that comes from trying to live the higher Christian life in the flesh and continually failing. For review, truth one states that we are incapable of pleasing God or producing anything good with our flesh or by our own efforts because it's connected to our sinful nature no matter how hard we try. And as we shared with yesterday, if you have trouble coming to grips with truth number one, you need to go back and review Romans 7, especially verse 18. In truth number two that we spoke about yesterday, we see God giving us the Holy Spirit to live and dwell in us in order to, as it says in Philippians 2.13, to will and to do for his good pleasure. In other words, as we discovered, the Holy Spirit is active in us to accomplish what God has predestined in us simply for his good pleasure, or to use a common vernacular, because he wanted to. And what he predestined in us is to be conformed to the image of his Son. We find that in Romans 8.29, conformed literally to be similar in essence or nature to the image or an exact representation of his son. God has a plan for our life, and the plan for our life is for his children to be just like Jesus, just like his son. I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? Don't we, as parents, want our own children to grow up and reflect in their lives our nature, our values, our faith, our virtue, kind of an extension of ourselves, why would God be any different? So truth number one states we can't live the higher Christian life ourselves by our efforts and trying to do things in the flesh to merit his favor. And truth number two says we've been given the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit will work in us according to his own good pleasure to create in us all that is necessary to live the higher Christian life. 
So truth number two lets us know that we have the Holy Spirit living in us to accomplish that exact purpose, the higher Christian life. So we are not alone on this journey, that God has given us himself in the presence of the Holy Spirit to accomplish his will in making us just like Jesus. And if you think about it, this is great encouragement, especially to those who struggle with sin and shame and guilt and self-condemnation because we've repeatedly tried and failed to live the higher Christian life by our own wits, according to our own standard and in our own strength and resources. Again, it can't be done. The higher Christian life can only be lived through the Spirit who now lives and empowers each of us. As I've shared with you before, one of the mantras or slogans of the Keswick movement, the higher Christian life movement of the time after the Civil War, was simply let go and let God. And it still applies today, especially in this life of sanctification. We are to let go of our own pride and our independence and our self-efforts and trying to do it ourselves. And we are to let God have every part of our life. And we do that by surrendering our life to him so that, again, in him, to quote Acts 17, 28, we live and move and have our being for his good pleasure and by his sovereign design. Now think about that. God has given us the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, not with us or around us, or we go to where he is, but he's given us the Holy Spirit, God himself, to live in us. So what does having God dwell in us do for us? And why did God choose to live in us and not have us come to him like they had to in the Old Testament times. I mean, if God was in the tabernacle and you were on the south side of the mountain, you were away from God. It worked exactly the same way in the New Testament. If Jesus was in Caesarea Philippi and you were in Capernaum, uh, you weren't with Jesus, was. And in order to be with Jesus, you had to pack up and travel to where he was. You had to physically be in his proximity. That's the way it was in the Old Testament. That's the way it was during the life of Christ, but it is different today. And this is where the wonders of the higher Christian life become real to us, and our confidence begins to grow to the point that we truly can believe what it says in Philippians 4.13, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us because he actually lives in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. It's often hard for us to get our mind around the great blessing that came at Pentecost when God himself chose to live inside us. I mean, if you think about it, in the Old Testament, God lived with his people, but did not live in them. I mean, he only met with a few select in the tabernacle, and they in turn would come out and tell others what the Lord said. Moses would go into the tabernacle. He would meet with God. The Shekinah glory would come down. The tent would be illuminated. The Shekinah glory would go up. Moses would come out. His face would glow. It's like this residual anointing that he had from being in the presence of God, and the people would be afraid, so he would cover his face, and he would say, thus saith the Lord. 
In the Old Testament, God communicated his message to his prophets. Thus saith the Lord, but not to Frank the barber or some guy down the street. Not to everybody, just to his prophets. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon men for a season, for a short period of time, or for a specific purpose. And once that season was over, that time was over, or the purpose was accomplished, the Holy Spirit was removed. We see this in the Acts of Samson. He had great strength. He accomplished what he wanted to do. He lost the presence of the Holy Spirit, cried for it the very last time, and all the Philistines died. I mean, Samson did not have the Holy Spirit on him all the time, just when God wanted to use him to do something magnanimous. We see this in the life of Saul, who was anything other than a godly man. And the Holy Spirit came upon him, and he prophesied, and then the Holy Spirit was removed, and Saul was the same guy he was before. And we see this over and over again in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit comes, works, ministers, empowers, and then goes away. In fact, if you think about it, It's the Holy Spirit falling and empowering ordinary men that made these ordinary men heroes of the faith that we honor today. They weren't noteworthy men before the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit who changed their lives. It it wasn't based on their personal charisma or courage or charm or where they went to school or how tall they were or how much money they had. It was the Spirit who transformed these ordinary men into the beacons of light, the faith that we talk about in the book of Hebrews, who lived their life of faith, empowered by the Holy Spirit, even during troubling times. Again, think about what the Holy Spirit does. When David, in the Spirit from me, we look at that today and interpret that as him referring to his salvation but he's not. He's talking about the intimacy he had with the Lord that was fostered only by the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life, who was not there to stay forever, but was only there for a season. And it was the Spirit that gave David the inspiration to write so many of the Psalms. It was the Spirit of God who imparted his wisdom to Solomon that we see so evident in the Proverbs. It was the Holy Spirit, for example, who emboldened the three Hebrew children to clearly defy the orders of Nebuchadnezzar, even to the point of death. And it's the same Holy Spirit who lives in you. Listen carefully, not for a season, but permanently, never to leave. So what does that mean? Is it something more than theology? And how does it help me become an overcomer of this higher Christian life and my failures of trying to live this higher Christian life in the flesh? Listen very carefully. Before Jesus was ascended into heaven, in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, he made this statement to his disciples, and he commanded them, quote, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Don't go home. Don't do anything until you receive the, quote, promise of the Father which I've already told you about, which you have heard from me. 
And this wondrous promise of the Father was the coming reality that God was not going to be with them or around them or available to them, but he was now going to live in them in the person of the Holy Spirit. They would never have to go to where God was to meet with him, for he is always in them forever. And of course, this was incredibly fulfilled in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. I do want to give you a side note here that if you would like to do a very interesting kind of homework study, log on to Blue Letter Bible or some sort of Bible reference online, or, or just look at your own scripture and look at the phrase, in Christ, in Christ. We are in Christ, and Jesus in John 15 says that he is in us. We're in him, and he is in us. Watch how the New Testament develops that phrase, in Christ, and do a study on that and see the unbelievable blessings that come from being in Christ. We're going to do a session sometime in the future about being in Christ, but you might want to get a foretaste of that now. Back to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I want you to consider these words about the blessing that Jesus promised about the Holy Spirit living in us, in his disciples. This is from John 14, verse 16 through 18. John 14 is a marvelous picture of Jesus's promise about the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says. He says, and I will pray the Father, since I'm going to be taken away from you, and he will give you another helper. The word is alos. There's two Greek words that are interpreted another. One is heteros and one is alos. Heteros means different, like heterosexual. They're human beings, but one is male and one is female. Alos means that they're another of the same kind. What Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you another helper just like me. He continues, that he, this helper, may abide with you forever. The word abide is meno. Meno, and it means to remain, to dwell, to live, to make your home. Literally, to be and remain united with one heart, one mind, and one will. He says, I pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper just like me, and that helper will live and abide in you forever. And then he defines who that helper will be, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. How, Lord? How do we know him? For he dwells, that's exactly the same word as abide used earlier, for he dwells with you and will be, listen carefully, in you. He currently abides with you, but will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And he does in the presence and person of the Holy Spirit. So one last thought before we close for today. Jesus said that the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit now dwells with you. That's present tense, but will be in you future tense at some point in time yet to come. This promise of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit was the promise of the Father Jesus spoke about in Acts 1-4, and it was powerfully fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, as recorded in Acts chapter 2, what we know as the birth of the church. Sum it all together. If you're a believer in Christ, 
you have the Holy Spirit, the very God of gods, living in you. For the Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Father and God the Son. Yet it is He, listen carefully, and not the Father and not the Son who lives in you right now and empowers you to be overcomers in your life of faith. Therefore, as truth too states, it is by the Spirit that God will do whatever is necessary to bring you into the conformity with His Son. Romans 8.29, to conform you to the exact representation of his son, according to his good pleasure, which is truly the very definition of the higher Christian life, to be like Jesus. So be encouraged, even in the midst of your desire to quit and desire to stop trying and the belief that you'll never achieve this life. You right now have everything you need to live the abundant life Jesus promised in you today. And the Holy Spirit who is in you is not out there somewhere far away playing hide and seek and revealing himself only to other people and never to you because they're more worthy and more deserving or faithful than you are. None of that is true. He lives in you right now. He empowers you from within right now. And he comes with spiritual gifts to impart to you right now. And all you have to do to live this life is to ask. And asking is done in the form of total trust and surrender and yielding to him. Let me ask you, will you do that today and begin this journey of the higher Christian life. I pray that you will. I hope you've been blessed today and we'll continue tomorrow.